1: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. In this one, I am joined by friend and fellow English teacher, Sarah Donnelly. Sarah is also a comedian and an American, but don't hold that against her because she's one of the nice ones. In this episode, we answer questions from Facebook, which some of you sent in to Luke's English Podcast. So listen tight. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, welcome, everybody in the universe. Uh, Ladies, gentlemen, cats, dogs, goldfish, any other uh, creature that happens to be listening to this, aliens... I think everyone listens to Luke's English podcast.
0: Aliens, they don't know English, so it's important. They do now. Well, they're learning it.
1: They've, they've, they've been listening to Luke's English podcast, and I've, I expect within the next, uh, I don't know, the next few years, the aliens are going to feel that they're ready to join us. Right. And they'll come down. And they'll be, they'll, they'll, the aliens will arrive. And you know how they'll talk? (laughs) They'll talk like me. They'll all come down and say, Hello, I'm here uh, from space. And I've come down (laughs) in order to uh, meet um, Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Take me to your leader. Where is Luke? Luke is the leader. (laughs) (laughs) Because they've only listened to Luke's English Podcast. It's their own... That's a
0: lot of responsibility.
1: I know, yeah. Uh, Let's just hope that they're peaceful aliens.
0: Yeah, like, well... They'll tell you if, if they're not, because they will know English. <laughs>
1: they'll come to me and they say, you're Luke from Luke's English Podcast, aren't you? Well, um, put your hands up, uh, because um, we're, 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 we're taking over the world, okay? And I'd say, this is really weird that you speak like me, because um, what, have you been listening to Luke's English Podcast? And they'll all go, yes. This is a very strange beginning to the episode. <laughs> Um, But uh, it's just the way we do things here at at Luke's English Podcast. So uh, this episode is called A Cup of Coffee. With uh, Sarah Donnelly. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Now, normally these episodes are called a cup of tea with someone, but uh, we're drinking coffee in this uh, uh, in this one.
0: We're having coffee because I'm American, and Americans love coffee.
1: They do. America is is very well developed in terms of its <laughs> coffee drinking culture. You've in, you've innovated all kinds of products, lots of peripheral products we, to help in the coffee drinking well, process.
0: Well, I actually own four. Coffee for different kinds of coffee makers. <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> yes. Is that absolutely necessary? Well, have four.
0: Well, you get a different. So I have an espresso machine.
1: Yes, Nespresso. Yeah. Right, which okay. does.
0: Your espressos and your actual your good European coffees. Mm
1: -hmm. Other other coffee makers are available, by the way.
0: Yes, but in the same vein, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I have a Mister Coffee, which does your filter drip coffee.
1: Okay, Americano type thing. Yeah, it's
0: the American style coffee. You have a filter. You put in the grounds. You have the water drip through it, so you have a, a lighter coffee i guess mm-hmm. i have an italian espresso machine it's not a machine it's a a, I know. a pot you put on the stove yeah like an old school cafeteria type thing. yeah cafeteria
1: i love those things that's that's like it's in three parts yep so you've got the bit that you pour the water yep. into, and that goes on top of the stove, and then you lower a little sort of filter into yep. that
0: with the espresso, and then you put the top part on, and the water boils from the top and goes from the bottom and goes to the top.
1: Yeah, it kind of comes through yeah. the coffee and f- sort yep. of spills over into the uh, yep. into the kettle.
0: Exactly, and then
1: Bob's your uncle—you've got a lovely cup of uh, coffee. Yeah.
0: And I also have a French press, which is just. Uh, a glass uh, jar that has a press, so you put the coffee in the water, they brew directly, and you just press it down to push the grounds down to the bottom. Okay. So it gives a really strong cup of coffee but in the bigger size that yeah. I prefer. <laughs> that <So> Americans prefer. <laughs>
1: do you... I love those French press style coffee makers because of that moment where you can press the coffee yeah. down. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. Do you, what's your preferred method for doing that? Two questions. One, when do you choose to press the coffee down? And secondly, how quickly do you do it?
0: Um, so I don't time myself. I'm sure <laughs> the true coffee aficionados would yell at me and say, you know, you need to time the amount... You know, time—how long the beans and stuff are sitting in the hot water. I just kind of go when it feels right. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, has it been enough time? Because it's in the morning, you're doing a bunch of stuff, yeah. and you're like, oh crap, my coffee. I need to. Okay, I gently and but firmly push down. Yeah. I don't feel a need to rush through because yeah. I think then you risk the chance of having more of the grounds come up through yeah. the filter. Yeah. So I just kind of slowly, firmly.
1: Just apply a, a yeah. steady amount of pressure onto the yeah. Uh, handle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know the words. I don't know the words for this in French. I don't know the words for this in English. I am like the thing on top of the thing, and you push it down, and then yeah, yeah
1: that's all you need to know. Sometimes "thing" is the most useful word oh. in the language. Thing and, and stuff. Stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, my fiance is French. He uses stuff a lot, which I find funny because mm. he would use stuff. As maybe I would use thing. It doesn't. Yes. It never fits exactly right in the language. I know what
1: he's doing. He's French, and so for him, stuff and thing are like the same word. Yeah. So he will refer to one singular item as a stuff. Yes,
0: yes, yes. So yes. Uh,
1: how many stuffs, for example, or um, can you get that stuff on the table? And you're thinking, what stuff? Well, all the sugar or all the, all the coffee or whatever? Right. And he's talking about one thing. Yeah. So, yeah, my girlfriend does exactly the
0: same thing i i I like it I mean, yeah. I think it's cute i I never correct him because it's one not <laughs> that big of a deal, yeah, and two I like to know these little differences. I think it's cool, yeah, just yeah, these yeah. small things that happen in our daily life, so I like it
1: and uh yeah, it adds a little bit of character oh, to it and it
0: makes me know. smile, like he said, um in French. In, in English, so we say hair as a singular and the plural, right? You have uh, your hair. Yes. Like, I'm getting my hair cut or mm-hmm. there's one hair on my head. Yes. But in French, you do have a singular and a plural. So when French people, they refer to hair as hairs. Yeah. So, oh, you're getting your hairs cut.
1: Yeah, each individual right. hair. Right. And I
0: think that's so, I think it's so funny. And I really, and my fiance was, he was saying this a lot and I never wanted to correct him until finally one day I told him, he's like, why didn't you tell me this? (laughs) Because I was like, one, it doesn't, you know, in English we can be confusing and we're like, it's the singular and the plural, but if there's, but you can also use hairs as a plural too. And I was like, just, you're good. I understand what you're saying, and I like it. So,
1: yeah, sometimes that's the most important thing, just to get the message across. Yeah. Um, right now, let's let me just um, introduce you a little bit, Sarah. Um, okay. So, Sarah Donnelly is, uh, we, as we've already established, you're from uh, you're from the Washington DC area, aren't you?
0: Yes, I lived my the last before I came to France. I was living in DC for about seven years. Okay.
1: So. Okay. Um, And uh, so now you live in France and you've been here roughly the same length of time as I have. Yes. So you've been here about a year now. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so as well as doing stand-up comedy, which you've been doing for... How long? Six years. Six years now. Worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> as well as doing the stand-up thing, you're also an English teacher here in France. Yeah. But how long have you been English teaching now?
0: I've only been teaching English specifically since I came to France.
1: Okay. What made you come to France as well?
0: Well, I came to France, you know, for love, as one does, mm-hmm. um, to be with my now French fiancé. Uh-huh. So I decided to. Uh, As they say in French, you quit your life. I quit my life in D.C. and I came to Paris. I wanted not only to be with him, but to have a change of pace, a change of life. Um, I was looking to work on some personal projects and I thought, why not? Do I know French? Nope.
1: You didn't know French when when you arrived. But uh, now you've been studying French, haven't you? I've
0: been studying... I've been a student of French basically since I arrived over a little over a year ago, yeah and I go to French school every day for mm-hmm. two hours mm-hmm. and in the beginning, I was also going as part of my school. They had different like lectures and seminars, and I would go to those as well. but now that I'm working mm. more, I don't have as much time so
1: so this is interesting because not only are you an English language teacher, a native speaker of in this case, American English. Yeah. You're also a language learner yourself.
0: I am learning a foreign language as well.
1: Okay. So, in a sense, you are like, well, uh, like our listeners. that You're yeah. also learning or, or perfecting a, a foreign language, in yeah. that case, English. All right. Um, now, um, all right. So, a couple of weeks ago, I actually put on Facebook, uh, I, I wrote a, a status on Facebook, Saying, tomorrow I'm going to see my friend Sarah and interview her for the podcast. Do you have any questions for her? She's an English teacher from Washington, D.C., a comedian and a learner of French in Paris. Send me your questions. The interview is scheduled for tomorrow at 11.30 a.m. Now, um And
0: then, unfortunately, I got the flu, and I did not leave my bed for three days. So okay. I apologize, everyone. I'm sorry, Luke. Thank you for letting me cancel last minute.
1: It's all right. It's absolutely fine. But you're here now, and the questions s- are still here on Facebook. Um, we got something in the region of thirty questions or thirty comments uh, from my listeners. Is that good? That's yeah. That's pretty standard. Standard. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty average number of uh, number of comments. Um, I did the same thing with Sebastian. I think he got a very similar number of comments. Uh, for some reason, the number twenty-eight springs to mind. Well, but let's
0: I'll, check because I want to beat Sebastian. Want to beat Sebastian I want to have Marks. more questions.
1: Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you have more questions than Sebastian, but in a way he being an American too kind of beat you to it he, I think he's yeah. the first American that I ever had on this this podcast.
0: But you could have asked me first that's that st- I wasn't going to impose myself on I could have Sarah
1: and I, I always intended to but
0: I'm the first American woman
1: indeed you are in f- uh, you're not the first woman to, ha- to be on the show, but you're definitely the first American right. woman that I've had on this, this podcast. And I don't, you know, I don't feature uh, women's voices on this program as often as I'd like. So it's very nice to have you here. Well, thank
0: you. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Good. Let's get through some of these questions, shall we? Yeah. All let's right do it. So um, let's see. So Nadia says, hello, sir. I am Nadia. Ask her if the Americans find any difficulty in understanding the regional accents of the UK. I also wonder if ordinary people can understand the language of novels, Shakespearean ones. Thanks a lot in advance. So the first question there really is, do you as an American find it difficult to understand different regional accents of the UK?
0: And to that I say yes. Um, I actually lived in Northern Ireland for a year, part of the united kingdom yeah. but when you know depending on who you talk to some people are like ireland some people that don't realize northern ireland is a separate country that was always fun to explain to mm. people oh you're living in ireland well it's northern ireland it's it's actually part of the uk it's, it's anyways yeah um, it, it
1: technically northern <coughs> ireland is part of the uk but it's connected to the island of ireland right um so
0: geographically it's separated
1: geographically it's it's ireland but politically it's the uk right um and yes that has caused various problems (laughs) in the past (laughs) some people believe it should be reunited with the rest of the country and other people think that it should stay part of the united kingdom
0: so so that was interesting to be in this little a small country you know that doesn't at the time it didn't have its own parliament, its parliament had stopped, so um, it was really an interesting learning experience. But to get back to the question, uh, yes, I have a hard time understanding accents, not all. Uh, The Northern Irish accent is very different than the Republic of Ireland accent, and Mm -hmm. then even in each region. Of Northern Ireland in different towns people sound different
1: yes
0: so it definitely can be confusing and I um, I was there for a year and every time I think I could understand someone <laughs> and I'd be like yes I finally I've mastered listening to this accent I know everything because we're speaking English right so mm. I'm an English speaker they're a native English speaker like we should be on the same page and then whenever I'd have that moment of like all right yeah I understand everything. Then someone from somewhere, who like a word would come from somewhere. I'd be like, "What? That, what did you say? Excuse me." Can you um, give us an
1: example, perhaps?
0: I can. So there's a little saying of um, "How now, brown cow?" Yes. And well,
1: wait a minute. "How now, brown cow?" is a uh a sentence which people use as a way of sort of improving pronunciation, right? It's, I think it's in that film, My Fair Lady. Yeah,
0: I think so. How, How now, ra- brown cow? How now, brown cow? Okay. But if you were to say it using a Northern Irish accent, it'd be, Hi, nigh, brine, kai.
1: Yeah. Hi, nigh, brine, kai.
0: So, yeah. like, uh, or, how are you nigh? Like, how are you now? Yeah. How are you nigh? Would you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. dine there or nigh? Dine. Are you from the county dine? <laughs> county down. So, it's it's different.
1: So, yeah. for example, sit down. As I mean, I'd say, with my accent, sit down. You would say... Sit down. Okay, but in Northern Ireland, it's...
0: Dine.
1: Set dine.
0: Dine, Set yeah.
1: yourself dine there and nigh, yeah. would you? Yeah, yeah. Sit yourself down now would you I lived with uh, people from Northern Ireland Uh, for for years at university and so I basically I mean it's 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 fun I like doing the Northern Irish accent me
0: too but I
1: don't meet people from Northern Ireland enough anymore so I feel it's slipping but I got to a point where I could copy it so well that I actually sounded exactly like one of these guys oh that's so fun Um, so like right there Nye hi you Nye
0: yeah hi are you Nye hi you big man yeah. yeah. Oh, what
1: about what, what about ye. you big
0: man? What about ye?
1: What about ye?
0: Yay. Yay. Or are they uh did you see the way Wayans.
1: wayans, wayans. That, now that's a specific word that they use in, yeah. in Northern Ireland. What's we, a wean?
0: It's a a wee one means uh-huh. a child.
1: Wee meaning small. Small. Wee one is a child and right. a wean.
0: So it's a wean. Did you see the wens? Yeah. Coming well, from school.
1: So a weyan is a child <laughs> and um one I always found very funny was something like, "Would you look at the beak on her?" Like, "Would you look at look at her beak?" Beak. Beak. What's the that? Beak, like a bird's beak. Yeah. You know, like a, the mouth of a bird. Uh huh. A beak, and that is a word that we I don't even have in my version of English, and a be, uh, I mean, I have the word beak for the a bird, you know, for a, a part of a bird, but um, they use the word beak to refer to a, a part of someone's face so it's wow. the whole it's like the bottom part of the face like around the mouth and that part of where the face. maybe
0: you would have a beak if you were a bird if you were a
1: bird you would yeah. have a beak. so but they look he's got a queer beak on him like means <laughs> oh yeah he, they
0: say like after everything too yeah <laughs>
1: he's got a he's got a fairly he's got a queer beak.
0: Yeah, that means
1: he's got a really uh, um, very sort of uh Strange. unique lower unique. part of his mouth
0: <laughs> i say strange you say unique that's good <laughs>
1: that's nice. yeah queer, but queer doesn't always mean strange it can mean no? it parti- just means particular oh yeah um so oh, he's got a queer back he's got a queer back on him like means he's got yeah. a he's got a odd looking mouth
0: that's a pretty that's <laughs> It's your not accent, very good, no, I can't do that. Well, your accent's it's pretty good. M- better than mine. I'm sorry if there's anyone from Northern Ireland listening in.
1: Me too. Uh,
0: if we, <laughs> we're butchering your accent, but this is we're having fun. It's all in good fun. I love the people of Northern Ireland. They're always very nice, and it yeah. was a wonderful experience. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it can be difficult to understand other yeah. English dialects. Yeah. And then uh, the question about Shakespeare... Yes, he, uh,
1: he follows up with a question about uh, Do you, you know, do ordinary people understand the language of novels, for example, Shakespearean ones?
0: <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare? Shakespeare's. I, it's difficult for everyone, mm. um, I, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we studied it in school, and when you're, I think the first one maybe was 14, and we were learning Romeo and Juliet, and of course everyone knows the story, but when you're reading the text for the first time, yeah, that's, it's difficult to understand. Mm. It's written in a different time. So, yeah. actually, when uh, my fiancé was visiting me once in Washington, D.C., there's a couple of great Shakespeare theater companies. And yeah. I, um, having studied theater myself I love I think reading plays is one thing but the best is to see them come to life on stage yes. and um, we went to go see the taming of the shrew at the Folger Shakespeare library mm-hmm. which has a bunch of artifacts from um, Shakespeare and the globe in London you know but yeah. they've they've put them they have a little library here in Washington DC mm-hmm. and you know my fiance is French and he's an excellent English speaker but um, It was very challenging for him as a non-native English speaker. It was very challenging for me. Um, And then on Mm. the inverse, we actually went to go see a Moliere play. And Moliere is like the Shakespeare of France. And Mm. he also writes in a very old, high-level French language, which you know to be honest no i couldn't understand i didn't have the level but together we read the play beforehand or tried to and he helped me and we translated and Mm. i read some summaries and so i just went and i watched and i really enjoyed um no but
1: you enjoyed probably just hearing the rhythm of it
0: exactly and just
1: the yeah just the 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 whole atmosphere of like listening to these this great work but going back to that uh, the, the the point of the question which I think is basically I, I imagine that Nadir has read some novels and found them difficult yeah. and found them probably sort of really impenetrable and difficult to get yeah. into I would agree Nadir I think that you're not alone um, in fact uh, there are loads and loads of classic novels which are really hard to understand because they're written in an old fashioned style Right now Shakespeare didn't write novels he wrote plays but if you read Shakespeare often there are novelizations right. using the original script if you read that stuff then yes it's going to be really really hard right. um, it's it's not too different to the English that we have today but it's so poetic and so kind of um,
0: it's written in iambic pentameter so right. it's got beats to it you know yeah, that we just we don't Actually, I think I read somewhere online that someone has written a play in iambic, a modern play in iambic pentameter, but it's a dramatic poetic way to write. I think it's like in beats of 5 or something yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure, but it's something like da-da-da-da-da you know, da-da. There's a rhythm. There's
0: a rhythm to it. Yes. <clears throat> um, with the syllables and it's, you know, an art form in and of itself. So, yeah. anyways, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you you
1: you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. I think it's difficult for most people to understand Shakespeare, but the thing is about Shakespeare is that if you can get into it and if you can study it and understand it, then everything is there. You know, like all of the sort of great questions, all of the uh, great sort of things that we know as people are in his work. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, you know, great philosophical ideas or big, big debates or uh, intellectual struggles. It's all in Shakespeare. That's why it's considered to be so great because it just, he he kind of, he's he's already done everything. He's thought of everything. Like, you know, Hamlet, it's all about the Oedipal complex. Mm -hmm. And Freud, Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalyst, was celebrated for kind of coming up with this idea. But really, Shakespeare did it already. And I suppose in Greek mythology, they also covered a lot of these narratives too.
0: Right. Like Oedipus, Mm. where it all began. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I found interesting, um, is as a student of French, I'm always looking for French books to read and especially, uh, I want to read French authors and I want to read the French classics. It would be a dream of mine to read a French classic novel, uh, like the three musketeers. Yes. So what I've done is there I went to the bookstore and I found a version of The Three Musketeers that's written in the level of French, on my level of French. So yeah. I, I assume that they have these books in English too. Great English works that are written in more beginner or intermediate levels so students of English can have the opportunity to enjoy and appreciate the work. Yeah. So
1: they definitely do have those. Um, they're called graded readers perfect and uh penguin do ah. a very good range of graded readers so yeah if you want to read dracula for example but you can't quite get past the old fashioned language then yeah you can find the graded reader version of dracula bram stoker's dracula and you can read that i mean on one hand that's better because it means that you're going to be able to understand it and follow mm-hmm. it on the other hand it's kind of like a watered down version right it's not going to have the same depth of language and poet poets poetic content but at least you'll be able to you know read the story what what can be good depending on your level of english is if you start with a graded reader read that first and then you can sort of try the original version afterwards once you're familiar with the story Mm -hmm. and that way you won't be completely lost you'll be able to kind of Work it out from your your knowledge uh, that you've you've picked up from the the graded version
0: and that's what I'm hoping to do I haven't I started reading the three Musketeers and it still was a little bit too difficult for me so I just set it aside mm. and I'm gonna pick it up again um, I'm reading another book now but I'm gonna pick it up again and then yeah read that understand the story read it in the native tongue yeah so you get a feel for it and then yes I would like to read. I think it's a good stepping stone
1: okay and then at the end just watch the dvd yeah we used to have this show on tv in england called dog tanyan and the and the three musker hounds did you ever see that (laughs) did you have that in america
0: no but we had um what was it i'm drawing a blank no, I don't know. Well, no. me,
1: I've got to tell you about Dog Tanyan and, and the Three Musketeers. Dog talion Dog Tanyon. Not Dart Not Dart but Dog Tanyon. And not the Three Musketeers, but the Three Musker Hounds.
0: Musk Hounds. So
1: basically, it was the Three Musketeers, but they were dogs. And it was a cartoon. And that's really all I remember. I don't really remember what happened, but it was all set in, you know. Sort of what, when, when, what era of French history is that? Anyway, it was set during the the appropriate era of, of French history, and there they are, the Three Musketeers, but they're dogs. <coughs> I enjoyed it, Sarah. Uh, I enjoyed it. It stuck with me. So whenever I whenever I hear people talking about the uh, the Three Musketeers, I always just imagine them as being sort of like these hounds. Dogs. Yeah. There's a scene in the opening credits, which for some reason is stuck in my memory, where Dog Tanyan has gone into a shop to buy an apple and he wants to show off in front of some pretty young female dog as you do (laughs) right and he throws the apple in the air and he slices it with his uh with his sword and he slices it so quickly and so well that the uh the slices of apple actually float down to the ground like feathers yeah Uh, for some reason that stuck with me Uh,
0: translated directly from Dumas himself
1: (laughs) 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 do you reckon that he wrote about the moment where D'Artagnan impresses a lady by slicing an apple yes that's in the
0: in the first volume no
1: (laughs) Um, alright Nadir so there you go I hope that answers your question the next question comes from Tim Kit Chan and the uh, question is how can we acquire a centre London accent in the US so I am assuming that Tim Kit Chan is in the USA but he wants to speak like a British person (laughs) so okay, first first question do you think that's a good idea Uh, do you think that Tim Kit Chan should if he's living in America learn to speak with a British accent or uh, and secondly how should he go about doing it what do you think
0: uh well i think uh i don't know what what purpose that would serve other than just having fun and if if that's something Hmm. that motivates you to continue exploring english then sure why not i don't i don't think it's bad i think uh you know it might be confusing to people uh if you're trying to speak with a British accent and not really being successful with it, yeah. people might not understand you. So that, that could be a little confusing. But
1: I guess um, <laughs> I, I've noticed just from meeting people and you know, being on the Internet that a lot of people, even in America, think that it's kind of cool to speak with a British accent. I don't think that everyone does. but There are some people <laughs> who kind of you know, say, if I had a British accent, I'd, I would never stop talking. Which is an idea that I have subscribed to, in fact.
0: <laughs> which is why we're on this podcast. No. That
1: exactly. is why I never stop talking, apparently, now. Um, but uh, So it's kind of like this boutique accent, which uh, some people in America uh, like to w- would like to acquire. Maybe Tim Kit Chan is one of these people.
0: I think it's, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely people, I mean, I think Americans, we are quite fond of the British accent but um and how to acquire that uh as luke and i were just putting on our northern irish accents yeah. i mean i guess well you're the british person so you should probably
1: i think give um, your advice it's it's pretty complicated if you really really want to acquire a british accent um in the u.s i guess it's hard because as we know maybe the best way to do it is to be around British people, be around people with that London accent all the time. If you, if you live in a house with a bunch of people from London, I'm just imagining, <laughs> for some reason, I'm imagining Tim Kitchan Chan living in a house full of Cockneys. Right, in you
0: know. like the middle of Oklahoma. Yeah,
1: exactly. Can you imagine this Cockney house in Oklahoma? I don't know why they would be there. But anyway, it doesn't have to be Cockneys. I mean, uh, you know, London is not just populated by Cockneys. No. But
0: would you think it is strange, though, for example, Madonna. She was married to Guy Ritchie. She's based herself in London. And now when she speaks, she has a little touch of a British accent.
1: Which uh, yeah.
0: I feel like that's a little in a unauthentic
1: inauthentic
0: inauthentic inauthentic yeah. uh what
1: what's your opinion on my, that my uh, we'll come back directly to tim kat tim kitchan's question in a moment but yes uh yeah, the question of um the inauthentic acquisition of yeah. uh an accent um so case in point madonna Okay, I'm so Ma- Madonna, alright, so she obviously is American, but she moved to the UK, and within, well, it felt like it just a couple of days, she yeah. was speaking with this sort of English accent, can you do it?
0: No, because I feel like, <laughs> I haven't heard Madonna talk recently. Uh, she
1: used to be very sort of broad, you know, what, New York? She, she Yeah, she's from New
0: York, her last name's like, Chichione? a very Italian, yeah, Chichione, yeah. but then I'm like, maybe that's Lady Gaga's last name.
1: No, I think, it's, I think it's Madonna's last name. Okay. But yeah, Madonna used to be, have this very strong American accent and then she moved to Britain and suddenly she was speaking with these sort of, uh, uh, this sort of soft English, slightly posh English accent. And to be honest, I think most people found it to be a little bit fake.
0: Yeah.
1: I think, in my opinion, I reckon she was faking it a bit. That's how I felt too. But we'll we never cool. know. Yeah. We'll never really know. We'll maybe never she's know. maybe she's just like a sponge and she just absorbs all influences around her very quickly. But I suspect that she was trying a bit too hard. Yeah. And the reason that she was trying hard. No, no. The reason that people didn't like it was because it was contrived, like she was faking this British accent. So that's you have got to be careful with that. I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. But be aware that if you just suddenly start speaking differently, people are going to think, A, why are you speaking like that? Um, But then again, you just be who you want to be.
0: I I say in all areas of life, be authentic to yourself. So, you know, you don't need a British accent if you're not British. If if you want Mm. to achieve one, why not? Go for it, but at the same time, like...
1: I would say just... Go for it, but at the same time, be aware that you may attract a few critics. Right. That's all. Um, but, okay, anyway, if you want to get the, a, a London accent and you live in the U- US, how are you going to do it? Well, it's difficult. Be- it's going to be difficult because you're not going to be surrounded by people with that accent. That's probably the, the best way to do it. So you're going to have to try to expose yourself to lots of, um, lots of examples of people who speak with a London accent. So you're going to have to
0: download loads
1: of episodes of Luke's English podcast.
0: Or watch Eastenders.
1: Eastenders. (laughs) Eastenders, yes.
0: Um, I was in a play uh, when I was 14, A Little Princess. It's also a novel. And we had to be British schoolgirls. So we had a dialect. We had a dialect coach and we would do dialect exercises Uh, with our dialect coach so we would have a more authentic sounding accent when we were performing Um, but you know this was in the context of a play so I know there definitely exercises out there you can do uh, Mm -hmm. to help you with that
1: yeah yeah exactly you can see a voice coach a lot of um, Hollywood actors uh, have very very good voice coaches who will work with you in a number of ways to help you you know d- pick up the accent. or you can self-study, you can just look at the phonemic alphabet of standard British English and learn that. And then sort of learn how to make all the sounds effectively. You can go to BBC Learning English on the internet and find their pages about pronunciation. And there are lots of exercises, lots of audio samples that you can listen to um, as a way of just sort of picking up standard British English. You can also visit uh, the British Library website. So I I would Google British Library Accents. And there's a page, I think it's called Sounds Familiar. And that's a really, really comprehensive guide to all the different regional accents all over the UK. So you can focus on the ones from London. You can listen to some samples. You can look at some analysis of that accent. So you get you get a genuine, general understanding of the accent and you can then start copying it, try to uh, listen as much as possible to examples of London accents. There you go. I think that's probably enough on that question. So good luck. Good luck, Tim Katchan, if that's what your, your intention is. Um, yes, right. So let's move on to the next question. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Right, so Francesco, Fran- I think it's Francesco, for some reason, whenever I'm doing this, whenever I need my iPad...
0: To work. It's to work.
1: It just goes, no, I'm not going to work for you, Luke. So sometimes the comments don't load very quickly. Okay, Francesco says... Provided that both England and France are wonderful countries, which they are, <laughs> especially England, <clears throat> I would like Sarah to say where she met the most welcoming people. And he adds, as far as I'm concerned, I find English people are definitely the kindest ones. Well, thank you, Francesco. <laughs> I uh, I would agree with you, of course. The English are deeply, deeply decent people. But there's a, again, did you... Pick up the irony in that, because it's not (laughs) entirely true. They're not all nice. Some English people are not very nice. There was a guy called. um, I used to. I used to go to school uh, in Birmingham. There was a kid at school called Cag. Cag. That was his. (laughs) That was his nickname. Oh. Cag. He wasn't very kind. Basically, he was a bully. And his parents.
0: That's a great bully nickname though. Cag. Cag. Oh, Cag! Watch out! He's coming down the hallway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I used to every now and then I used to hang out with the geeks in the computer room. Every, not all, every
0: now and then. Luke. Every now, yeah, every now
1: and then, because I'm an all rounder. Okay, I'm a bit geek. I'm a bit not geek. You know, um, I play football. I can be a geek. I'm an all rounder. So sometimes I would be in the computer room with the geeks, and when and Cag would make frequent visits to the computer room, and he would basically just come in and just sort of terrorize. The computer room. What he, would he do? He was big, right, first of all. Oh. Much bigger and much more uh, advanced, if you like, than the other kids of his age. Do you know what I mean?
0: No. He hit
1: puberty early. Oh, that's, okay. That's what I mean. Because so I'm like,
0: usually I find the big, mean bullies kind of dumb.
1: Yeah, he was really dumb. Yeah. And cruel. Yeah. So he would come into the computer room and he would basically pick on each person one by one and he would generally grab the back of the guy's neck. He just grab the back of your neck like that and just sort of bit say nasty things to you. And then and when he was satisfied, he'd just move on to the next person. And he was English. He was really English. <laughs> so uh, Where
0: is Cag today? I have no idea. He probably like, you know, has several children that he's not doing anything for Maybe yeah. has a drinking problem and lives, you know, on the dole or something.
1: Maybe he's listening to Luke's English podcast, Sarah, like everyone else. <laughs> and he's probably listening to this right now and just regretting those Cag. days at school. He, You know what? I bet that Cag misses school. That, like,
0: was his high, that was the high point of his life. Yeah.
1: That moment where he terrorized the computer room on a Wednesday afternoon. That was the best moment of his life. And well, ever since then, it's just been downhill.
0: Cag, this is your moment. If you're listening in, you post a comment on the facebook page yeah Cag. and you ask for forgiveness
1: we want to hear from you kag <laughs> we want to know just how bad your life is now and how bad you feel about being a really nasty bully you should feel ashamed of yourself yeah. anyway what was the what question? was the
0: question <laughs> wait no the question was where did i find the friendliest people yes. in england or in france and you know i i'm sorry i don't really like this question mm. because uh Sorry, uh, sorry,
1: Francesca.
0: I'm not a fan. She doesn't like the question because I I don't think it's really fair because as Luke was saying, you know, their love. I've been many places in the world, not tons of places, but I've had the opportunity to meet wonderful people and horrible people just about everywhere I've gone. So you know, uh, I think it comes down to do you have a preference culturally for what's happening? Uh, but I think sometimes when you're a tourist you don't get a good sense of what the culture is anyways so Mm. i think i tend to think uh the french have a bad uh rap they have a bad reputation reputation out there the
1: parisians the
0: parisians yeah and um you know i I think they're a little misunderstood you hear a lot and i think we've talked about this that Mm. oh you know the french the parisians they're so rude uh Yes, there are definitely rude people, but I think the French they are they have a different set of manners. Mm. And I think sometimes you know, Americans and maybe even British, we don't realize that we're offending. We're doing something offensive. And yeah. so then and but the French are not afraid to show you that they're offended. So then you know, maybe we've made a cultural faux pas and then we see this French person giving us the glare and we're like, "Oh, they're so mean for no mm-hmm. reason." No, we just offended them and we didn't understand it. I try to be. Uh, I try to s- stand behind the French as I, you know, I'm embarking on this Why is it Franco-American to th- family. Why is it?
1: That the I, I'm going to pose you this question: Why is it necessary to defend the manners of the French if they're they're nice?
0: Because I think they have the bad reputation. It, right. that persists, so I'm I'm here to say, I don't think it's true. You know. But at the same time, you go to London, you go to Paris, you go to New York. What do these things share in common? They're big cities. People are very stressed. They're trying to go from one place to mm. another. Mm. You know, people are rude and they're stressed mm. out. And, mm. you know, it, these it's normal in a big city. I think the French are pretty respectful of strangers and not trying to go into your, your personal
1: space. personal
0: personal space in the sense of like striking up conversation like americans yeah we love the small talk and talking to people and that's just part of our culture but yeah. in france it's a little awkward they don't do that often however i took the train here and a man named frederick just started talking to me uh, yeah, really? Yeah.
1: In English or in
0: French? E- well, he started in English because he saw me writing in English, and then we started speaking in French. And uh, it just, it's not a typical French thing to do, but he was very happy to have a conversation and mm-hmm. talk about America and these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And okay. So, I mean, you know, another time I was on the train and a girl was mocking me to my face that I was speaking English. Uh, Not to her, I was having a private conversation with my friend, but this apparently annoyed her, and I confronted her about it. Mm. And it was very upsetting. Uh, I was very upset, because, you know, you come to a country, and this woman was judging me for speaking English, whereas I was actually studying the language of French, and, you Mm. know, you feel like you're trying so hard. So it was kind of a disappointing moment. But just before I got off the train... An old woman uh, turned to me and in very broken English said, uh, take care. And she held my glove, which had dropped on the floor. And she was offering me my glove and being very sweet. So here you have someone who's young. You think they'd be more open-minded to other languages and foreigners who's being a complete, excuse my excuse my French, as we say in English, asshole on the train. <laughs> and then here's an older woman, which you would maybe think stereotypically would not be into having English speakers or foreigners, but she made the effort to be nice to me. So I think, you know, there's nice people all over the world. There's mean people all over the world. Yeah. It's
1: very hard to, to, yeah. to make broad generalizations.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: but the English are nicer than the French. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a joke, ladies and gentlemen. Um, right, so Rajesh um, writes, Greetings to our Master Luke. Wow. And the guest of our podcast, that's you. <laughs> what are some of the good habits of English teachers? The good habits, we want to know. Who is her f- Who is your favourite novelist in American English? And finally, thanks to our Master for helping thousands of learners of English with the podcast. Our Master is the best. Thank you, Rajesh. Luke,
0: did you write that on your own
1: comment? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write that. Okay, Rajesh is a real person. Okay, and, uh, that got two likes. Two people Who agreed li- with him. Did you like it? I, I didn't like it. Well, I like it myself now, but, but I, did I didn't you like it. I didn't like it when I, uh, when I read it, but I like it in general. You know. Anyway, so uh, Rajesh's first question is: um, What are some of the good habits of English teachers?
0: Well. I am a new English teacher so I actually have been relying on Luke for these tips and tricks but I would say one thing that I found to be helpful uh as I'm a new English teacher is you know try to prepare ahead of time as much as you can come up try to have a backup plan too in case something doesn't work yeah uh technology is failing you or Whatever, and also be creative in your lessons, and try to think a little differently.
1: Yes, um, it's difficult to just give. I'm going to give like just a quick, a quick response. I would say try to think from the point of view of the students as much as possible. So, so there's a danger when you're the when you're a teacher, and especially if you have a class of students, the danger is that it becomes you versus them or you and them you know what mm. i mean and and what i mean by that is that you have got your own plan your own agenda for the class they might not realize what you're trying to do right and so when you're pushing the class in one direction and they're not going in that direction the tendency is among teachers is to get frustrated and then to get a bit angry and to sort of take it out on the students you know what i mean yeah I, i'm this is it, i'm not saying this always happens but it's just something to consider something i sometimes experience myself and i have to think no wait a minute maybe they're not being willfully difficult maybe it's just that you know they're experiencing this whole thing from a different point of view of course so sometimes i actually go to the back of the room uh, like if i've given them a task. I've been, if I've been writing stuff on the board or something, I might just go and stand at the back of the room and just sit down and have a look from their point of view, literally from their point of view, and just think, oh, how is the, how, what's it, what's it looking like for them? And uh, that sort of makes me slightly more sympathetic to their experience. And particularly in learning a language, it's hard, it's hard to understand what the hell is going on in a mm-hmm. class. You know that from learning yes. French. Sometimes you just have got no clue what the hell is going on. And the teacher's getting frustrated because the students are just slow or seem not to be interested. But it's just because they don't understand what's happening. Right. So you've got to we have to remember
0: And that, yeah. Oh, I was gonna yeah. say and you know, within a class, ever you know, you're grouped in the class by level, but within that everyone's on a different level. Yes. And sometimes you the student, <laughs> me as the student or you know, my students, they are understand- They all are understanding different things at different times. Mm. So just because some people understand one thing doesn't mean that everyone understands. Yeah. Like, and that's why in my class we do a lot of group work. And it's good so you can rely on each other, you know. Mm. Did you understand? What are we doing? You know, because mm. everyone kind of gets different concepts at different times. Yes.
1: Yes. Okay. It's easy for the teacher to misunderstand uh, behavior in the students, and and uh, consider it to be bad behavior when actually they're just struggling to, to, to follow what the hell is going on. <laughs> um, we I think we're probably going to come back to. Uh, our experiences of, of, of learning a second language yeah. ourselves in a minute so um, also who's your favourite novelist in American English then Sarah
0: my favourite novelist in American English so I did read the comments ahead of time there are a lot of questions about you know my favourite book my favourite author um, you know I, I don't really know if I have one in particular I really enjoy um, David Sedaris uh, he's a humorist. He's actually from my hometown in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I also really enjoy Kurt Vonnegut and t- Tom Robbins. they Are kind of like novels. I really I read a couple novels from each of them, and I really enjoyed them. Um, but these days, I really, well, I don't know if we need to talk about. <laughs> I really mm. like reading nonfiction. Yeah. Um. So. I've been kind of branching off, and I'm reading different stuff. But there's a couple other questions about books, and yeah. we can get back into that. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, he's, he's great. brilliant. But he's, uh, you know, for someone who's learning English, he's a little absurdist. He can be a little confusing. So I also have some, I think we'll come back to some more questions. I have some recommendations for people who are looking for something to read in English that, okay. you know, maybe aren't at the level it might be a little too hard confusing
1: for those of you who are interested in those authors and you didn't catch the names then don't worry because i've i've written them down and i will put the names on the relevant website for this episode so you'll be able to find them probably on teacherluke.wordpress.com and find a cup of coffee with sarah donnelly and you'll find those names written down um Okay, uh, thanks for your questions, Rajesh. Let's move over to Christina, who has asked, as teacher, as a teacher and a comedian, or as teacher and comedian, do you sometimes entertain your students or teach anything to your audience? So, yes. Do you ever mix them up mm. to kind of make the students laugh and teach the audience something?
0: Um, well, I think as a comedian and someone who... Performs and writes jokes and performs on stage. When you go in front of a group of people or even a small one on one situation, it's in your nature to make jokes and mm. be funny. And I do take that lighthearted approach, you know, when I work with my students. Yeah. Um, uh, in, on stage, when I have my performing hat on, um, uh,
1: when you
0: have what? My performing hat. We have an expression, you know, you wear many different hats. So I put on my performer hat. I have my comedian hat, my teacher hat, mm-hmm. my fiancé hat, my daughter hat.
1: Yeah, your um, learning French hat.
0: Learning French hat, yeah. uh, which is the beret, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you don't actually put on a different hat. No. It's just an expression.
0: But. Yeah. Uh, so when, you're,
1: when you've when got your performer hat When on. I'm
0: in my performer mode, you know sometimes as comedians you know when we tell a joke we are taking the audience on a journey and we know where we're going uh, at the end of our joke you know we have the punchline so we're guiding the audience to this place where we want you to go where you're going to laugh and sometimes it does take some explanation um for example i have a joke about my experience uh I'm not going to explain it. It's very complicated, but it's something I experience in the Fran- French legal system. And mm-hmm. because I perform in front of audiences that are very international, not just French or not just American, I, I do have to explain it. So I think, uh, yeah, there are times you are teaching the audience to understand this concept, but you have to do it very quickly so you can quickly move on to mm-hmm. the funny part. Absolutely. So it's like saying, okay, I need everyone to get on the same page mm-hmm. so we all understand. Some of you already understand give me 20 seconds to explain this sometimes not 15 seconds I need 15 seconds to explain this concept concisely and clearly boom 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 okay let's move on so we can get to the funny part yeah. now that we're on the same page
1: absolutely like really in stand-up comedy you yeah it's exactly what you said you've got the setup and then you have the punchline. and the setup really is where you just explain the situation and put all the elements in place and then the punchline is the sort of funny thing.
0: Yeah, the um, relief.
1: I wonder if there is a, an example. I can't think of an example, except in a slightly abstract way, just any kind of joke, really, that has that structure where you explain the situation first and then there's a funny joke, at, a funny bit at the end. But I think it's specifically in stand-up because, you're, as you say, you're bringing the audience with you to a certain place. Yeah. And for them to find that destination funny you've got to establish everything very clearly so they know exactly what you're thinking mm-hmm. what you're getting at that's that's one of the really difficult aspects of doing stand-up you've got to do it quickly yeah you've got to do it in a funny way as well yes. even the setup has to be funny yeah so you've got to buy and and often you do that by sort of um using certain words or using certain movements or sounds in your voice yep
0: or the rhythm in which you tell the joke you know comedy is all about timing so how you pause when you pause when do you launch one of your little techniques and of course okay so now we're getting very technical about joke writing and how you tell a joke but at the end of the day uh, I don't think this mechanically when I write a joke because I consider myself an artist so it's flowing from me and I do a lot of things you know how do I feel and I can feel when something's going to work or not work Mm. or uh yeah so I lost with it. the point of that <laughs> the point is the point that, is
1: that um, <laughs> yes there are there are similarities between yeah. teaching a language and making people laugh um, so yes you, you do have to teach your audience sort of where you, you have to inform them of where you're going by explaining things in a certain way. But when you're teaching, do you? Yeah, you do make people laugh. You mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good, very important thing because there's this, this, this idea, I think I mentioned it to you before, about the affective filter, which is a fancy word for feeling uncomfortable, basically. Mm. And if you feel awkward or uncomfortable when you're learning a language, then the words don't go in, you don't really learn. So if you break down that kind of sense of uncomfortableness and you put people at ease, then that's like a really important step as a way of laying the right foundation for learning to actually take place. So making people laugh or creating a fun atmosphere is very important. But you have to know as a teacher when to balance that out. Because sometimes as the teacher you've got to be serious. You're a disciplinarian. In some context yeah so it's a question of sort of riding the line between being strict and imposing certain rules on the situation and on the other hand being the sort of jester and 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 creating a, a fun anything goes kind of yeah. atmosphere so it's weird, it's sort of dual dual role that you have to fulfill.
0: Yeah, you want to maintain. Uh, you know, you're, in a author- you're an authority figure, mm-hmm. and so you want to ma- maintain respect. Uh, you give respect to your students. Mm. You know, they give you respect uh, in return. It's Hopefully. an exchange. <laughs> um, but I think there's a way that you can be funny and have fun and not lose your integrity as a teacher.
1: Yes. Um. I wonder if I managed to keep that.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think sometimes uh, uh, maybe you're seen as a little crazy or strange. Not you, (laughs) you, the greater you, you as the English teacher. But uh, that's okay.
1: Yes, I I understand what you mean. It's a big (laughs) question, a very good question, don't you think? Yeah. I think it's a very good question. Right, so Kazan Anna has said, Hi Luke, first I'd like to thank you for the detailed answers to my questions in the previous podcast. You're welcome. It's nice to hear you addressing us, your listeners, by name. It's as if we're talking in real life, indeed. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Second, my questions to your guest. Sarah, what music do you listen to? What are your favourite singers in any genre? And do you like French performers? Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I love the way she's added a thank you. Thank you. The you. End the well,
0: thank you. Um, what music do I listen to? You know, I feel like recently, since I moved to France, I feel like a lot, how I've listened to music changed. There was an app I had on my phone that I listened to. Uh, streaming the radio mm-hmm. called it's called Pandora uh, th- through my phone and so I'd have, you know, you create themes of music, so I'd listen to like 90s music, or I made a channel called like Sad Alternative Rock and like <laughs>
1: <to> p- <laughs> Sad Alternative Rock <laughs> and then
0: there was another Sad Alternative Rock of the 90s lots um, of smashing pumpkins and, yeah. uh, stuff. so, you know, I would create these themes I did, I had a Miley Cyrus channel when I was getting, this was, I mean, this was a couple years ago. This is before she kind of went totally psycho and was still doing, like, just pop. Yeah. Um, I think I've always been a fan of pop. Uh, pop? I am pop.
1: What about pop? Do you like that?
0: Pop. Yeah.
1: Uh, is it just pop, or do you ever Okay, well, it's pop? not,
0: I don't think I sound as hard as that, because <laughs> in the Midwest, they say pap. Like, uh-huh. do you want a pop, like a, a Coke? That's yeah. like a soda, like a, ch-
1: like a cherry Coke, yeah. cherry cola.
0: But they wouldn't say they don't. They say pop, not Coke. And in the South, we say Coke, but that means soda.
1: We say pop in the UK as well. Yeah, like uh, Mac. When I was a kid, you know, you go to someone's house and they'd say, "Do you want sir? Uh, do you want a glass of pop?" Ah, oh. I mean, would you like a glass would you of, like of a sparkling, soda? carbonated, sugary yeah. drink? <laughs> um,
0: so go sorry music. music Um I I have a very ec- eclectic taste in music I've been getting into electro music now that I'm in France my fiance is a big fan and I really hadn't experienced that um, yeah. now that I'm here there's a group that he introduced me to called C2C C2C it's yeah. french dj's yeah yeah and um, swedish house mafia is another huge electro group they're actually breaking up so i don't know i'm very open um i like jazz i like a lot of things mm. uh you okay. know good quote unquote good and quote unquote bad uh
1: bad like that's bad, bad no
0: bad like uh you have how many britney spears albums oh
1: really bad like genuinely bad
0: well yeah but it can be enjoyable i i mean i like to say i love the rolling stones and they're like amazing but i also really like britney spears and it's like i can enjoy both. like there's nothing wrong with enjoying both i'm not saying britney spears is the most you know dynamic artist (laughs) with like the (laughs) most profound lyrics but
1: yeah it has its place yeah yeah, it does have its place
0: yeah. I really like singer-songwriters too right. I'm a big fan this is get. this is like my cheesy side of Billy Joel
1: yeah well he's a great talent, Billy talent, Joel. Really talented songwriter
0: Um. so yeah I, I I like learning about music and trying new things and getting recommendations from friends I'm always willing to hear from a friend oh I love this band oh who are they oh let's put them on cool okay so
1: alright brilliant <laughs> um what about French? Well, you mentioned C to C. Yeah. The, the Daft Punk.
0: Daft Punk, of course. Uh, well, one thing that I, my fiance has been encouraging me to do is to listen to French artists, so I can, you know, experience French through song yeah. and improve my French <coughs> that way. So I like. Uh, there's a pop artist here called Tal. It's uh-huh. a girl. I like her, <laughs> <laughs> and um does she
1: sing, or does she mainly talk?
0: No, she sings, she's okay. a singer. Because
1: cool. i I've got this theory, which is probably not true, but I still enjoy saying it anyway,
0: uh-huh, and
1: that's that um in my experience, a lot of French music is uh, a-, a nice tune, but with a with a guy talking a kind Tal. of talky
0: singing. blah blah blah
1: blah 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 blah, with like you know some sort of m- romantic uh jazzy kind of uh, <laughs> music going on in the background with a blah 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 blah, blah, blah. that's the best I can do <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to get the rhythm and the sound of it right. So I know,
0: I actually know what you're talking you know, about but it's it is hard to explain I think for me it's you know obviously to understand a foreign language in song is difficult because it can be difficult to understand English in song mm. you're like what are they saying you know mm. you're kind of not really tuned in to the lyrics you're just kind of bopping around with the yeah. music
1: I guess what I'm so. trying to say is that, that for me like the French language itself is a very beautiful thing to behold when it's spoken properly and it's very poetic it's a very mm-hmm. romantic language um, but there and I've, I've had this said to me by, uh, by French people too so it's not just my opinion but the French language doesn't have the same amount of melody in it as English does English goes up and down a lot so there's yeah. lots of different intonation patterns and so on um, and and yet French has got more of a sort of rhythm to it and it's uh, I don't know how to explain it really but it's the, the palette of the language is slightly different to English which lends itself to um, sort of spoken word um you know uh art i don't know like so in in a lot of music like serge gainsbourg for example Mm -hmm. and a lot of people of his generation they didn't so much as sing melodies as just sort of um uh like just sort of say the 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 lyrics over the top of the music uh, which is kind of you know really different and unique i mean serge gainsbourg i think is brilliant i absolutely love him Uh, i think his music is great amazing like uh soundtrack he kind of loops he, he sort huh. of yeah. He kind I of, don't really
0: know his. I know who he is I don't know his music. his stuff
1: particularly in the 70s is really ahead of its time cool. you know a lot of a lot of artists in the 90s and, and afterwards were really influenced by him and he basically had like what sounds now like loops you know like in the way that some uh, artists sample mm-hmm. bits of music he yeah. was doing that but with live music and then mm. just sort of like doing his Gainsbourg talking over the top and also, French rap is is good. French rap, rapping works in French. Yeah, it really does.
0: There's a song uh, that I like that uh, talks about like literally. It's a it's a song about it's a rap about just going for a walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How do you say that in French?
0: Ballade, okay. Balade, J'aime ballade. I, it's like. Uh, I went
1: for a walk, and I, I went for another walk. Oh, <laughs> God, how else does it go? I walked up the road, I walked down the I'm road. I'm sure
0: your French listeners are just cringing that I'm saying I like like the cheesiest <laughs> pop singer and, like, the worst rap group ever. It's like, and then the end it's like, Je me au Champs-Élysées.
1: I like walking along the Champs-Élysées. Yeah,
0: it's kind deep. of, there's probably, see, again... There's probably, there's more to it, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but literally the video is a bunch of guys and they have these small, I don't know if it's Fiats or smart cars, but they're in these tiny cars and they're like driving around Paris and then they're like rapping the northern suburbs and anyways.
1: And essentially the message of the song is, I like walking along the street.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Again, I'm sure your French listeners are going, oh my God. Oh my God! I this always, is so embarrassing. I always
1: invite listeners to you know respond with comments. <laughs> just tell us what you think. If you're French and you you don't agree with what we just said, yeah. or if you do agree, please or whatever,
0: educate us too.
1: Do correct us if uh, we got or
0: just enjoy you know my ignorance uh, with the song. Yeah, which is what I'm I'm doing.
1: Okay, <laughs> we this is. Uh, now one hour and seven minutes in and that's only like the fourth or fifth question.
0: Oh, wow. You know that,
1: don't you? I mean, I'm happy to just keep on trucking and then we'll tr- make this into two episodes. Maybe
0: we c- can do a few more,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'd like to cover yeah. the questions. Yeah, um, Israel said, I'm a Spanish native speaker and I'm actually learning French and English. Wow, good luck. So both languages <laughs> at the same time. Among other, several things at university. blimey, blimey you must be busy. So... And I'm finding it very easy to learn French since it's a very close language to Spanish. That is true. But for you, which are the main problems? I would say what are the main problems, actually? Yeah, um, what are wh- the main
0: what are problems? The,
1: what are the main problems that you find in your learning process? And um, which approach are you using? Or what is the approach that you're using? So what main problems that you've experienced learning French and what approach are you using?
0: Well, I think... Um, when I first started, the, a big challenge was just understanding, um, obviously, we all know langu- languages are different, right? But how someone expresses a sentiment in their language or explains something in their language uh, and not doing that direct translation. Mm. And I think we've maybe talked about this before, but in French, you use the verb to do a lot, uh, Fair. Fair. and you do that a lot and w- in english uh, we in american english we get things to get mm. um which is not really used here and so it's just kind of understanding uh another example in french you take an appointment prendre un rendezvous, and in english you make an appointment mm. so in american english so it's just understanding you know which verb to use and remembering you, you can't translate directly you can and people are understand you but just those little things yes um uh, when i speak in english i'll say you know i'm going to make a decision and when i speak in french i say i'm going to take
1: a decision yeah that's um collocation that's that's what that's called oh. where although you know it's basically when some words just go together yeah they just they're like friends so make and decision are, pr- are very good friends in english mm-hmm. take and decision are actually sort of business partners in english because in meetings you take a decision right. at the end of the meeting but personally on an individual basis you make a decision um but i know what you mean it's like uh, in in uh, i'm trying to think of a good example yeah like get something and do something so get um uh, we
0: get a lot of things yes, in America. In American very English,
1: get is we, very, very common. We
0: get a degree, at university. I'm getting something from the shelf. I'm going to get my hair done later. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. we use it in all different senses. You say get
1: a haircut.
0: We get a haircut.
1: But in French, they might say like do a haircut. I wonder.
0: Yeah, I actually, I actually don't know.
1: Yeah. but it, but the point is that in English. There are certain frequently occurring collocations with little verbs, and in other languages, they, they will be right. different collocations. And you see that in, in uh, the mistakes that learners of English make. You know, people always say things like, um, you know, I made my homework. Right. And in English, we don't make homework. We, we, we do homework. Yeah. So I did my homework, not I made my homework. So it's, you know, completely understandable error. It's just influence from the first language yeah the first language influencing the production of the second language yeah. it's the most common reason for errors in in the second language just yeah. because of influence from from l1 um, all right so yes I for me I mean I I have to say that my I'm not as diligent a student as you <laughs> um, uh, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because uh, on one hand I'm telling people to learn English. And you know, I know I know what good students of language should do, but I don't necessarily follow my own advice. So I'm not quite at the same level as you, I think, because you're at b two level I'm right?
0: a b two I'm an advanced intermediate in okay. French and
1: i'm I don't even know what my level is, but I'm sure it's not very good. Uh, but I struggle just with you know the basics, just the fact that they have gendered nouns in French.
0: yeah. You know, that's, that's
1: really a really difficult
0: yeah thing. using the getting used to the gender um but now the deeper I get into the language even if I don't know the gender I make less gender mistakes and I get a sense of what a gender of something could be I'm like this feels masculine and it just and it's just from you know experiencing listening reading,
1: frequency yeah it's just yeah you, you get exposed to the language enough to the point where your instinct says no yeah. it's it's uh, yeah. it's it's do homework mm-hmm. not make homework right. because you think make homework just doesn't work and no, i've never heard that before
0: but i would like to say too of course immersion is i having i'm having a wonderful opportunity here but at the same time you know it's not Required, and you can be successful uh, learning a foreign language in a con- in a different country, yeah. and still be very, very, very successful. Especially
1: if it's English, and especially if you listen to Luke's English podcast. Exactly. I think that I think we're going to draw a line <laughs> under that point there. But no, essentially, yes, you can learn English uh, without living in the country that, mm-hmm. where it's spoken. By, you know, exposing yourself to English. And you can find English, of course, all over the place, online in particular. Yeah. You can just use the internet. Find, find uh, audio, find exercises and stuff online.
0: There's even uh, meetup groups. You can find other people willing who are interested and want to speak English together informally. Mm. There's American libraries, places.
1: Sorry, Meetup.
0: It's called meetup.com. I believe they have it in the U.S. They have it in France. I'm sure they have it in other countries. And it's where people gather around a similar interest and they meet each other. And, you know, it's not... under any other premise then we all like this one thing and we're gonna meet and socialize and mm. in the context of this thing so it's not you know a dating website it's not yeah it's uh, just a
1: socializing website yeah. um so check the internet go to meetup m dot com um and look for meetup events in your area and it's that's a good way of like finding english-speaking people um near you and you can go and actually you know not only get all your english online but you can go out and use it practice it with people even if you're not in an english-speaking country that's the end of part one of this conversation but you'll be able to catch the rest of this in part two that's right so check out teacherluke.wordpress.com for more information very soon Again, for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.